This is a Soul Fire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back. We out here doing it today. Had a couple videos on the gram this last week go kind of viral, which was interesting for me. That doesn't happen very often. Maybe it's never happened. Uh, one was an RFK video that Josh did a great job. Our video editor, Josh, did a great job breaking down and uh, giving the juice. And then the other was uh, Alex Jones and Aspartame. Um, had to block a lot of folks. And I got about 3,000 followers from that whole ordeal. Um, I'm not really sure if I want those followers, but hey, we'll see if some of them are okay. Uh, There was a lot of vitriol and hate coming from the right. Because in the beginning of the video, I said, Alex Jones is a kook and he's never been right, never been right about anything, which I, you know, for my audience, that who that video is meant for, um, you guys know I'm joking around. They didn't. They didn't get past the first 15 seconds of the video, so... Got called a lot of mean names. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was weird. But the RFK stuff is always... I and mean, we're going to talk about RFK today and Snow White and Jason Aldean. Um, but the RFK stuff always... The people that... The discourse in there is usually productive and good. When you get into like Alex Jones and Trump and all this other stuff, man, just the just the fangs come out of these fucking fat white dudes. And I don't want to like... I don't want to make it racial, but it's a bunch of fucking fat white dudes. Like it's obese white men that <laughs> are just like pissed. Uh, it's weird. And I think a lot of them are bots too. It's just a strange like troll accounts and just, it's weird. It's weird being on that receiving into that. Cause you're like, is this really how we're doing this? Is this really, I mean, I just, I just made a joke. Like I was just, I was just joking. Um, but Hey, that is what it is. I'm also in uh, a lot of pain. I'm in a lot of pain right now. I don't know what the fuck I did to myself. Um, I've been working out, you know, like I do. And I did some uh, deficit handstand push-up negatives the other day, or like early last week, or maybe, I don't know. It's been, I haven't worked out in a week, so I guess it's like a week ago, uh, which normally is no big deal. I wasn't like doing anything crazy. Um, but then my neck got all whacked out, so I went to the Cairo and got that sorted out, and then my shoulder's freaking out, and I've got some nerve stuff going on. Uh, so if you're watching this video and I move weird or I make some weird breathing sounds, I'm probably just trying to like move my shoulder in such a way uh, because I'm in this kind of just, uh, I was back getting body work again today, made some progress, but my shoulder is just like the back part of my shoulder is just in pretty much constant pain all the time. And it's been that way for a week. So uh, I'm exhausted. It sucks being in pain all the time, but I don't really take, I've taken some Advil. I don't really like taking, you know, I've got hydrocodone and shit. I've got, we've got some Oxycontin here from back in the day. Uh, it's just not my thing. I don't like it. It makes me feel weird. Oh. And I'd rather just uh, find other ways to get out of pain that are actually helpful. But anyways, uh, moving on. What else we got? What else has been going on this week? It's been kind of a slow week, news-wise. So we're going to talk about culture. And I'm actually going to go on the Cancel Me Baby podcast tomorrow and talk about Andrew Tate and such things. Not something I really care about. I think I've actually done in the past six to eight months, since my daughter's been born, I've, I've done a really good job not giving a fuck about things I don't have an interest in at all. Like, I don't care about Andrew Tate. Was he trafficking women? Was he not? I don't care. 
Like, I care if he was trafficking women. That's terrible. It's awful. I think that some of the stuff he says, he seems to have confessed to doing exactly what he's accused of, <laughs> like emotional coercion. Um, but I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe he was just talking shit. I don't know. I don't, he doesn't, he doesn't inspire me. You know, I think somebody has some of the things he says, his, his description of what's going on is correct. It seems to be sometimes, but then his prescription for what to do about it seems like utter douchery. And that's just not for me. So I'm going to talk about it. I've been listening to his podcast or his interview with Tucker Carlson. And I'm just, it's uncompelling. I just don't. I don't understand. I mean, he's playing the game. He's playing. He's gaming the system here. He's he's found, and you see this a lot. It's like you find these people who kind of strike the balance of being like against victimhood, but then leveraging victimhood for their own gains. It's very strange. It's a little. It's a strange little niche. Um, and we're gonna talk a little bit about men too at the end. We're gonna go into something to think about. We're gonna talk about men, men, biological human adult men. Um, so yeah, but let's start. Let's talk. Let's talk about Snow White. Snow White's coming coming down the pipe. Gal Gadot and uh, some other broad. And we have an image here of uh, what we're looking forward to with the live-action remake of Snow White. Now, early in the Disney live-action remake era, you know, I watched a couple of those things. They got some of my money. Aladdin, Lion King, both were absolutely disgusting. Just terrible. Terrible movies. Fucking awful movies. Just flat-out bad. You know, you take some of these great, this great IP, these great intellectual properties that you own, right, that have made so much money and that people love. All you have to do is do a faithful adaptation if you're going to do one at all. And they can't seem to do that. Like, Disney can't make a new movie. They can't create something new. They have to, like, dig deep into the archives. And Snow White, adjusted for inflation, is one of the, is the highest grossing animated movie of all time, which is pretty astonishing. This is a very old movie, um, but it's iconic. Now, when you look at this, we have a Snow White. I think I believe she's Colombian, which, I mean, like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, the, it's one thing if you if you race swap a character that wasn't described in the source material, but the source material describes her as having. Skin as white as snow, dark hair, and red lips. Like, that's the, that's the character. I understand that that doesn't fit your sensibilities. And maybe that means make something new. Maybe that means you should try something else. And then when you go into the dwarf thing here, uh, you have a diverse crew of mostly full-sized gypsies. That's what this looks like. It's snow, not quite white, and a bunch of gypsies. That's where we're at here. There's one little person in this crew, one little person in this whole crew of dwarfs. Now, when we're talking about dwarfs in the context of Snow White, we're not talking about real little people. We're talking about a mythical creature from German mythology, right? It's like saying mermaids are offensive. They're not because they're not real. They're not a real thing. Maybe they are real and I don't know about them, but as far as we know, they're not real. They're a mythical creature. Dwarfs, mythical creatures, not real little people. That's not what we're talking about. And then, you know, you also, when you look at this and say, well, there's an opportunity here 
right? Let's, let's forget about the diversity casting of Snow White. There's an opportunity here to cast seven little people, right? Actors, seven working actors, little people, which I'm sure you can find seven who are capable of this role. And you could even diversify. I'm sure there's little people of all different colors and shapes and sizes within the little people spectrum um, to do this, to make this movie. And I, you know, if you, if you mixed up the, the races of the, of the seven dwarfs, I don't think anybody's gonna, no one's gonna have a problem with that, right? They're a bunch of hardworking little dudes doing their thing. But when you see this in the Peter Pan and Wendy thing, movie, which tanked, uh, Little Mermaid, trash, like you're doing this, you're try, you're trying to shape something that was created, I think, I believe, the '40s, and trying to force it into modern culture when it really doesn't fit. You're square pegging a round hole here and then trying to make that, trying to um, really grease that thing up to fit into modern culture when it just doesn't, right? So the appropriate thing to do is not make this movie at all, right? And I, I bring this stuff up because I do have an affinity for like Disney movies and narratives and these old old shows and what you could take for what take away from them. I always liked Aladdin better than Lion King. I like the story better. I like the story the character arcs better. But those characters actually had arcs. Right now in modern Disney, women cannot face challenges, right? They are automatically the best and brilliant and better than their counterparts in every possible way. And men are seen as doofuses and incompetent and egotistical and generally in the way of strong female character accomplishing whatever goal she has uh, for herself. And I can't see this being any different, right? And they also kind of straw man the old story and saying it was all about this girl pursuing Prince Charming, yada, 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 whatever. Now, when you get really dark into Snow White, the idea is that she actually died and that this was all kind of like a, a, a dream in her dying moments, which is pretty dark and pretty interesting, honestly. You can get, there's like dark theories about all kinds of Disney movies. But the one thing that really tripped me out about this, because this movie's trash, I'm not going to watch it, right? I'm not watching this, I'm not watching The Little Mermaid. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I want to cancel Disney Plus, but my wife wants to keep it. I lost that fight. Um, because she likes to watch the old Disney shit. So it is what it is, right? We have this. But what really tripped me out is Peter Dinklage and his take on this whole thing. Now, Peter Dinklage is a great actor. I really respect him and his his talent, his ability from all kinds of movies, right? But really what made Peter Dinklage an icon in the way that he is is Game of Thrones, Right? The adaptation of A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin that is not finished. And that fat fucker needs to get his shit together and finish that book. Those books, last two. Because I want to read them. I'm a big fan of the books, more so than the TV shows, especially the last three seasons of the TV shows, which are absolutely atrocious. But the character that he played was commonly referred to in the source material as the imp. He was a disgusting little creature. It's kind of how they, they described him. A very cunning and smart under-respected imp. Now, it's a land of mythology. It's a dark story. It's a complex story. And Tyrion Lannister has a huge role in this story. But through the, the happenings of the, of the books, he loses his nose, he has a scar on his face, his eyes are two different colors. They really paint him out to be a kind of a grotesque monster, which you don't really see, right? 
in, in the show. You don't really get that in the show. But you got to think about what he's playing and where that's coming from, right? And also know there's other people, there's other little people out there that would like to work in Hollywood, that would like to be in movies. And when you have something like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, right? Or even if you remember um, the Elf, I think they, they like used CGI to kind of streak a lot of those people down, obviously. But he played a book publisher or something like that, an elf. Like it was, those are roles, right? Just like Tim Dillon said this, if you want somebody to play, if you get a, 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 a skinny black dude to play somebody who's a fat white faggot is what he says on his podcast, that would be odd, right? There's a, there's a role for different people in these stories that fit the source material. But here's what Dinklage has to say about this. On Mark Maron's podcast, who Mark Maron has turned into just a gigantic douche. There's a lot of hypocrisy going on, I got to say, from being a somebody who's a little bit unique, front row seat to some... Really? Like what? Like what do you see? Well, you know, it's really progressive to um, cast a, a, literally no offense to anything, but I was a little taken back by the very very they're very proud to cast a, a latino actress as snow white yeah but you're still telling the story of snow, still white, snow white yeah seven dwarves sure so, look take, take a step back and look at what you're doing there yeah i know that makes no sense to me but oh so what, you what, be, you're progressive in one way and then but you're still making that backward oh story of about- seven dwarves <laughs> living in a cave to get what the are you doing man we you know have yeah, i yeah. have i done nothing to advance the cause <laughs> from my soapbox i guess i'm not loud enough so it seems like and i get i get where he's coming from right he doesn't want little people to be exploited or made characters of which i understand right and i don't think anybody wants that i don't think that's fair right now we're far away from the days of like midget wrestling and shit like that but there are people like Wee Man on Jackass who were all doing the same shit. Now, Wee Man could do stuff that Johnny Knoxville couldn't do because he was little, right? And it was entertaining. I don't think that he was exploited for that anyway, any more than Bam Margera or anybody else was. They were all kind of wrecking themselves for the sake of entertainment. But it seems like what Peter is saying is that he's the only one who deserves to be successful as a little person. He's the only one. There's a role in a big budget movie that Disney's going to undoubtedly spend way too much money on for seven little people. Seven. That's a big cast. That's a that's a gigantic opportunity for seven little people to advance their careers. I don't think Peter Dinklage should be one. He's successful enough. He's got his own thing going. He's doing his thing. But because of his opinions, now there's... There's one little person in the crew, but there's six more who are not able to have that opportunity to further their careers, make some money, probably life-changing roles for them. And if they go and crush it in this movie, even if the movie is shit, that's something for them to move their careers forward. So we see this over and over again, this kind of push for equality, right? It's like you really limit opportunities for a lot of people by, by, by doing this. It's really odd. It's really strange to me. And I'm like, do you not see that criticism? I mean, I understand where you're coming from here, Peter, but like, 
Do you not see where people are coming from when they point that out? Because that is so blatantly true. Like on the face, you're like these. He what he's saying, and I agree with him in this. They shouldn't tell the fucking story because the story's already been told, and you're not going to do a better job. If you're not going to do a better job at telling the story, then don't tell a story again, right? We can think about it with Peter Pan and Hook. Hook is an, a great movie, a great movie that I feel like is canonized with the story of Peter Pan, right? It tells a story later down the line, right? It could very much be a sequel, and it's also live action, but it keeps the essence of the story, right? If you think about Peter Pan, Peter Pan was a story about being afraid of growing up, right? And how you come around to the point of like, it's okay to grow up. It's okay, right? You can become an adult. And that's the essence of kind of what's going on. And then you go to Hook, right, with Robin Williams. And then it's the opposite, but it stays in the same vein. It's, hey, you can add like some childlike play and joy into your life, right? It's okay to not be so grown up all the time, which was fun. It was kind of a mirror of itself. And it, and it, it was beautiful in that way, right? They used to be able to do that kind of thing. And you look at what we're doing now, and it's miles away from that. It's miles away. And then you have a little person advocating for six other little people not to have jobs, which just seems disgusting to me, man. It seems really unfair because you were given a, 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 an opportunity, right, with Game of Thrones, and they didn't know what that show was going to do. There wasn't, we didn't know how big of a market there was for fantasy, large-scale fantasy. But it stuck, and people loved it and told a compelling story up until the end. Right up until the last three seasons. The first five seasons were fantastic. And when they ran out of source material, they turned it into a Michael Bay movie that made no sense. But up until that point, and even within the shitty parts of the story, that Peter Dinklage's acting was fantastic. The writing was awful, right? It didn't line up with his character at all. But he did a good job. You can't blame him for that. He didn't write the show. I don't think any of the people, the cast really appreciated how that show ended. And it didn't do any good for their careers outside of maybe his. Um, but when you look at the whole thing, it's like, man, this is just so frustrating to see. Like, we live in this clown world where there's such a disconnect from virtuous opinions and the actual results of those opinions. And what you're seeing here is six people who don't have an opportunity to move forward in their career and their path. And you're seeing other little people like we man from uh from jackass speaking out and being like dude fuck you and their opinions are equally as valid as dinklage's but dinklage walks in that west coast elite crew of opinion creators who have sway over companies like disney and that continuing continuously leads to shitty products that no one fucking wants you saw this with all the star wars sequels and it's it frustrates me because I really enjoy and appreciate like really good movies, you know? And when you're taking legacy characters and stories that people have an affinity for and you're just beating them to death. I mean, we saw this with Indiana Jones, the new Indiana Jones movies. It's awful, right? But it costs $300 million where, and I haven't seen that or the sound of freedom, but I know that the sound of freedom, I think costs 13 million and has made more money than Indiana Jones. Think about that. Think about that. 
And I don't know if this is just a manifestation of just like our confusion as a culture and our, I don't know. I look at Disney. I think Disney's like a flailing, terrible company. It's just with every opportunity in the world to continue to make incredible things. And they time after time fail, fail, fail. And if you're doing something that pisses, like I don't give a shit of what you're doing pisses off like, like Harry Potter pissed off a bunch of right-wing nut jobs at witchcraft and all this other shit. Who cares? You told a good story. You can piss off a bunch of people and still tell a good story and everybody tell the other people to fuck off, right? It's like, I don't care what Christian wine moms thought about Harry Potter. I don't care because it was a really good story. The movies did a pretty good job of adapting the source material. And it's compelling, right? I don't care what the kooks say about that. But when you piss those people off, and you make a shitty story, well, then what do you expect, right? We're seeing the same thing with Barbie right now. It's like Barbie had every opportunity to be a really cool show, kind of in the same vein of Enchanted. Have you ever seen Enchanted? Really cool story, right? Somebody goes from like fantasy, Disney World type, like animated land into the real world, and all the adventures that happen along the way, and it tells a really kind of fun story with very charismatic actors, and it's, it's a fun show. With a decent concept. That's the same concept as Barbie. But Barbie decided to decide that half the population of the the planet are scumbags because they have dicks. And that's just weird. Like, why? Why is that the selling point? Why have we gotten there when it comes to pop culture? I just don't understand. But you're not allowed to say this kind of stuff. It's just, I mean, you're allowed. I'm saying it now. But like, it just, I don't know. I really didn't know where I was going with that, but it's just like the, the Dinklage angle is just so nuts to me. But hey, that's where we're at. And what we, we're, we have a writer strike now. And I'm hoping that through this writer and actor strike thing, we move towards smaller budget movies that take risks, right? That's what I would hope for, is that we have creative people creating compelling stories that are taking risks that don't need a giant green room like all the Marvel movies and soulless armies of CGI, whatever the fucks that can die with like stormtroopers without any emotion. Like that's, we're over that. We're over that as a society. I think what we need is like really compelling stories that tell that, that connect with us in a powerful way, you know? And even if you want to think about like, from the perspective of like men are bad, right? The whole like women get abused and it's fucking terrible and rape culture, all that stuff. If you go watch the movie promising young woman, right? It tackles that topic, that subject, that reality for a lot of people in a very compelling way. It tells a good story that you can connect with. It's not, it has nuance and it's not so simplistic and reductionist and it doesn't insult your intelligence. It tells a good story. So, it's, it's possible. It just takes people with talent that can connect with us and tell a compelling story. But anyways, that's where we're at with that. Um, moving on here. RFK <laughs> was at a Senate hearing. Now, this is the same committee, right? The uh, weaponization of government, this, this situation here. Is the same one where Matt Taibbi was called a so-called journalist. The whole thing, right? And what we'll see here is RFK being treated absolutely unfairly by the Democrats, who have made a complete clown of themselves, all of them. 
particularly Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Stacey Plaskett. It is so hard to, I'm so embarrassed for these people. And the funny thing is like as someone who's nominally on the left, kind of, even though the left kind of left me behind, I, I feel embarrassed for these people and they make me agree with other people that I would generally disagree with on most things. Right. So let's dive into Kennedy's opening statements here, and then we'll go through some of the, my highlights. I recommend you go back and watch this entire hearing. It's like it's it's about three hours. There's a break in there of forty minutes, so just put it on time and a half speed and just cruise through this thing because it is revealing to say the least. As a mine, as mine's not. Make sure it's Mr. On Chairman. Here. Are you going to swear in the witnesses? Oh, let's get through this. I'm just saying in past history. Okay, okay. Let's just watch the time for all the witnesses. And if you want to cut him off and censor him some more, you're welcome to do it. Oh, that's not my job. That's that's your job. Why don't you threaten a witness so that they can not want to be a witness? Mr. Kennedy is recognized for his opening statement. We'll give him five minutes, more or less, and then we'll move to the next one. Mr. Kennedy, go right ahead. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, maybe and we could put five minutes on the clock then, not ten. Could we, could we put five on the clock and start it running? This is a shit show already, and it doesn't get any better. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I want to, I want to start. I want to put aside my written statement for a moment and address one of the uh, points that was brought up. I think an important point by the ranking member that this body ought to be concerning itself with the uh, with issues that impact directly the American people. The rising price of groceries, 76% over the past two years for basic foodstuff, uh, the war in Ukraine, the inflation issues, the border issues, many, many other issues that concern us all as a nation. We can't do that without the First Amendment, without debate. Uh, when I gave my speech, my announcement speech in Boston uh, two months ago, YouTube, I, I talked about all those issues. I focused on grocery. I focused on the fact that working class people can no longer afford to live in this country. I talked about inflation, all the issues that deeply concern you and that you've devoted your career to alleviating those issues. Five minutes into my speech, when I was talking about Paul Revere, YouTube deplatformed me. I didn't talk about vaccines in that speech. I didn't talk about anything that be, could be was a verboten subject. I just was talking about my campaign and things, the conversation that we ought to be having with each other as Americans. But I was shut down, and that is why the First Amendment's important. Debate, congenial, respectful debate, is the is the fertilizer. It's the water. It's the sunlight for our democracy. We need to be talking to each other. Now, there, this is a letter that many of you signed. Many of my fellow Democrats. I've spent my life in this party. I've devoted my life to the values of this party. This 102 people signed this. This itself is evidence of the problem that this hearing was convened to address. This is an attempt to censor a censorship hearing. 
the, the, the charges in this. And, and by the way, censorship is antithetical to our party. It was, it was appalling to my father, to my uncle, to FDR, to Harry Truman, to Thomas Jefferson, as the chairman referred to. It is the basis for democracy. It sets us apart from all of the previous forms of government. We need to be able to talk. And, and the First Amendment was not written for easy speech. It was written for the speech that nobody likes you for. And I was, I was censored not just by the Democratic administration. I was censored by the Trump administration. I was the first person censored by, the, as the chairman pointed out, by the Biden administration two days after it came into office. It ordered a truthful, and by the way, they had to invent a new word called malinformation to, to, to censor people like me. There was no misinformation on my Instagram account. Everything I put on that account was cited and sourced to peer-reviewed publications or government databases. Nobody has ever pointed to a single piece of misinformation that I publish. I was removed for something they called malinformation. Malinformation is information that is true, but is inconvenient to the government that they don't want people to hear. And, it, and that's antithetical to the values of our country. After I announced my presidency, it became more difficult for people to censor me outright. So now I'm subject to this new form of censorship, which is called targeted propaganda, where people apply pejoratives like anti-vax. I've never been anti-vaccine, but everybody in this room probably believes that I have been, because that's the prevailing narrative. Anti-Semitism, racism, these are, are the most appalling, disgusting pejoratives, and they're applied to me to silence me. Because people don't want me to have that conversation about the war, about groceries, about inflation, about the war on the middle class in this country that we need to be having. And, and by the way, I want to say this while I'm on the record, that in my entire life, and why I'm under oath, in my entire life, I have never uttered a phrase that was either racist or anti-Semitic. I have spent my life fighting my professional career, fighting for Israel, for the protection of Israel. I have a better record on Israel than anybody in this chamber today. I'm the only person who has publicly objected to the $2 billion payout that the Biden administration is now making to Iran, which is a, is a, a genocidal program. I'm the only one who's objected to that. I fought more ferociously for Israel than anybody. But I am being censored here through this target, through, through, through smears, through misinterpretations of what I've said, through lies, through association, which is a tactic that we all thought we had been discredited and dispensed with after the Army McCarthy hearings in the 1950s. But those same weapons are now being deployed against me to silence me. I know many of the people who wrote this letter. I don't believe there's a single person who signed this letter who believes I'm anti-Semitic. I do not believe that. There is no evidence of that. Now, I want to say something 
I think that's, that's more important, and it goes directly to what you talked about, ranking member, which is the, the, the need, the, the, this toxic polarization that is destroying our country today. And how do we deal with that? We are more, this kind of division is more dangerous for our country than any time since the American Civil War. And how do we deal with that? How are we going to, every Democrat on this committee believes that we need to end that polarization. Do you think you can do that by censoring people? I'm telling you, you cannot. You, that only aggravates and amplifies the problem. We need to start being kind to each other. We need to start being respectful to each other. We need to start restoring the comedy to this chamber and and to the rest of America. But it has to start here. My uncle, Edward Kennedy, has more legislation with his name on it than any senator in United States history. Why is that? Because he was able to reach across the aisle. Because he didn't deal in insults. Because he didn't try to censor people. He brought home people who were antithetical to what he believed in. He came home almost every weekend with people like Orrin Hatch to our house at the compound in Hyannisport. At that time, Orrin Hatch to me was like Darth Vader because I was an environmentalist. And I was saying, why, why is Teddy bringing this guy home? But he knew that he was effective because he understood that comedy and respect and kindness and compassion and empathy for other people is the way that we have the only way to restore the function in this in this chamber. But more importantly, today we need to give an example in the leadership of our country of being respectful to each other. If you think I said something that's anti-Semitic, let's talk about the details. I'm telling you all the things that I'm accused of right now by you. And in this letter are distortions, they're misrepresentations. I didn't say those things. There's fragments that I said, but I denounce anybody who who uses the words that I have said to imply something that is negative about people who are Jewish. I never said those things. And I want to point out also that the chairman pointed to Dennis Kucinich who's fighting behind me. There is no two people in the country who feel differently about more differently about American politics than these two people. <laughs> and yet they were friends. Dennis attended his children's basketball games, attended his daughter's wedding. This is what we need, how we need to start treating each other in this country. We have to stop trying to destroy each other, to marginalize, to vilify, to gaslight each other. We have to find that place inside of ourselves of light, of empathy, of compassion, and above all, we need to elevate the Constitution of the United States, which was written for hard times. And that has to be the premier compass for all of our activities. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank So Bobby there is talking about in the political arena, which I agree with to an extent. But we talk about it here in our own lives, families, communities. This is why I get frustrated with people who are Trump sycophants and the Biden sycophants, right? Because they look at half the country 
half the voting country anyways, and think they're deplorable, racist, whatever, Nazis, or they look at half the voting population and think they're radical leftist, groomer, whatever the fucks, right? Which is why I get frustrated with a lot of the people out there who I feel are encouraging people and profiting from encouraging people to hate their neighbors. That's not a productive society. That's not the, the, the way forward for something we perceive to be as the greatest country in the world. That's not how you grow. That's not how you compromise. Because I can tell you one thing. There's not one person out there that has all the solutions to all the problems. And if you can't, have common ground, have respect, decency, and compassion for one another, you're fucked straight up. If you can't reach that basic level of humanity, you're behind the eight ball. So when you think about what he's saying there, and when it comes to somebody who fashions himself as a leader, would you rather have that? Or would you rather have an orange real estate tycoon who calls people names? I mean, maybe it's a personality thing because here's the thing that I like about Bobby that I think a lot of people also like about Trump is that he does piss off the people that drive me nuts. The bad faith actors, the name callers on the side, the people who want my freedoms to be restricted. Yeah, he'll, he'll irk those people for sure. But he doesn't give them as much ammunition. They have to really reach to call him racist, anti-Semitic, all these other bad faith attacks that are blatantly false, right? Whereas someone like Trump, Makes it easy for him. He's not skilled in that way. He makes it so easy and then plays the victim and doesn't take responsibility for himself, which drives me nuts. Where I've seen RFK change his opinion and take responsibility numerous times already in this campaign, which I respect. Maybe that's not you, and I understand that too. I understand feeling that Trump was villainized unfairly because he was. Straight up, he was. I think that if the Hunter Biden laptop situation and all the information on there would have been covered as it should have been, then Trump very likely would have won the election in 2020. That was unfair. That was election interference. I believe that now. At the beginning, I don't really think I got that, but I didn't have all the information that was on the laptop because it was buried. And even people at the New York Post were so focused on Hunter Biden's crack use that I really wasn't that interested in, that, that they, they made the mistake in covering that story of focusing on Hunter Biden and crack and hookers over the corruption that was actually there, and the election was over before that really became the mainstream conversation. And I had to even dig to get to that. So it was too late. The ship had already sailed. And to me, that's coordinated election interference. Right? Do I think that the Dominion voting systems and that, all that shit? No, I don't. I, I watched... Uh, 3,000 or 10,000 mules, whatever it was. It wasn't compelling to me. It was easily explained away with Occam's razor. It just was not compelling to me. They didn't show one person going to this two different uh, ballot drop box locations. They didn't show one person doing it twice. They showed people with a handful of ballots for sure, but they didn't show the same person going to multiple locations, even though they claimed that was a thing. And all these cars they saw driving around and they had the geo location on, could have been explained away as Uber drivers and Uber Eats drivers and DoorDash drivers and whatever else. So that wasn't, that, was, that just didn't make, it didn't hold up. So when you look at it, yeah, I understand wanting, 
retribution for feeling that your team, your guy, got screwed because he did. That being said, he made it really easy to have himself screwed, and the way that he handled it was awful. He just did not handle it well. He does not handle that kind of shit well because he's a reality TV star who is focused on entertainment before substance, which is fun, but it's not productive, and it's not good for the country. So moving on here. Oh, wrong one. We've got RFK being attacked. Let's see where we're at here. Oh, we have um, Stacey Plaskett here talking about how unfair it is to compare the COVID vaccine situation to Tuskegee. Um, I know that we talked earlier about a post that Mr. Kennedy had at the beginning of the Biden administration. I just want the record to reflect that that post has not been taken down. Um, so I'm wondering about the extent of censorship. Fact check. Um, so the government reached out to Twitter, asking them, to, asking them to take it down. But Twitter, as much as they tried, didn't have grounds to take it down, so they just flagged it instead. But the government attempted to censor him, and the best they could do, even in the very uh, as gracious as they were to the government, the best they could do was to flag it because there wasn't uh, grounds to remove that content. But the government did attempt. Two, which is unconstitutional. Censorship when the post is still there. But more importantly, again, I go back to just the fact that we are creating a platform for these, for this kind of discussion, not about the censorship, not about free speech, but the content of some of that speech that we are amplifying in this room. I'm appalled and, and just so troubled by colleagues that I have to work with that these are individuals who would bring a witness who's promoted a video that compared the COVID vaccine to the Tuskegee trials. The Tuskegee trials were a very difficult time in black America where individuals who were already sick with a disease were then reviewed, experimented on who already had a disease to see how far that disease went. And making the comparison to manip- that manipulates and preys on black people's feelings about the atrocities of the past in order to prevent them from seeking life-saving vaccines in the present. And knowing that this is dangerous, I, I cannot also be... Uh, unaware that this comes from an individual who, by Mr. Roy's introduction, is very smart. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit, because this is the same woman who called Matt Taibbi a so-called journalist. Um, So what she's saying here is the Tuskegee experiments, which was a black community. They were promised free health care, and the health care, the medical experts at that time, decided not to disclose to these men that they had syphilis just to see what syphilis would do over time in these people. And they continued to spread syphilis and all it was, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. So what happened was if you were to boil it down is that a group of people were misled about their health, about the risks of what they had, the diagnosis of what they had and the treatment they were getting. And they were coerced into an experiment 
Come to find out they were lied to. Now, if we compare that to the COVID vaccine, you have a population of people who were told that this COVID vaccine would stop the spread of the virus, that they could get back to their normal lives, uh, that, there were, that it was safe and effective, and that there was very low likelihood of negative outcomes. Um, we can go on and on, right? And it come to find out that that group of people were coerced and lied to by the medical experts for their own selfish reasons. So I see the parallels between what happened with Tuskegee and the medical experts of the time misleading a population to be experimented on. I see the parallels between that and the medical experts of now misleading the population to be experimented on while they were both populations were being lied to for someone's gain that wasn't their own. So forgive me if I do see the parallels there beside the fact that Tuskegee was focused on black individuals and the vaccine experiments knew uh, no racial bounds. That That's the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. But I don't understand how she can't see the similarities between populations being lied to and coerced and manipulated for the gain of certain individuals in the medical establishment. Doesn't seem like a stretch to me. Continuing on here, we have Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who, let's remember, Debbie Wasserman Schultz used to work for the DNC. She was the one who leaked the questions for the debate to the Hillary Clinton campaign to try to circumvent Bernie's candidacy. To undermine the Bernie Sanders campaign, she leaked the questions for the debate to the Clinton campaign because she is anti-democratic to her soul. She is a creature of the DNC to her soul. That is what she is. To the bone, a creature, a swamp creature, if you will, if you're a MAGA person out there, of the DNC who does their bidding. She's a little troll that does their bidding and nothing else. She has no personality traits. She has no identifiable characteristics outside of being a creature of the DNC. Now let's hear what she has to say. And it still fuels deadly violence today. Yet last week, you floated a baseless conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was bioengineered to target Caucasians and black people, but to spare Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. Mr. Kennedy, your bizarre, unproven claim echoes that same historic slander of labeling Jews and Chinese people as a race. Hold on a second. Didn't Whoopi Goldberg get in trouble for saying that Jews weren't a race? The way I understand it, and I believe the way that most Jewish folks want to be referred to as a race and a religion, Judaism is a really interesting, a very unique um, race and belief system. It's one of the only belief systems that's also a race, right? You have the Jewish race and you have the Jewish faith. Now, people that are not Jewish can practice the Jewish faith and people can be non-practicing Jews. But that's one of the very interesting and, and, and um, unique things about Judaism itself, that Jews are a race of people. That's been the, the Bible says that shit. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? So when Whoopi Goldberg says that Jews aren't a race, 
Ben Shapiro gets his panties in a bunch. She gets uh, there's cancellation attempts, all kinds of crazy shit, and they call her anti-Semitic. And then, because there is a lot of homogeneity within the Jewish race, right, that certain things will impact that race, just like sickle cell anemia t- uh, impacts black people more than any other race, right? There are biological differences within races. That's part of evolutionary biology. There was a time in this world where races were very separate and people evolved with different strengths and weaknesses. That's why whenever westward expansion happened, a lot of the natives over here and a lot of the early settlers were killed by novel diseases that they had no immunity to. This is just evolutionary biology 101, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Not sure why that's controversial. And that Jews, and in this case Chinese people, somehow managed to avoid a deadly illness that targets other groups for death. You do see that, yes or no? You're misstating. No, 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 no. Uh, you I, are... quoted, I quoted what you said earlier, and it, it is directly what you said. So just ask me, uh, yes no, or no. I was, I was described. So what she's saying is she did quote him. She quoted him out of context, which I believe by their characterization is called malinformation. Technically true, but misleading. An NIH-funded study. No, 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 you didn't cite any. I was, as I was describing an NIH-funded study. You don't have to cite individual studies when you're having a casual conversation at dinner. And somebody pulls a clip from that and mischaracterizes it. When I'm having conversations with random people, I don't cite a study. That, does anybody do that? Unless you're in a group of academics with that, with that agenda? By Cleveland Clinic reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time. You did not you, reference reclaiming it, 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 my published time. Published in USC Mr. Medical, Chairman, which is, is one. Mine. The time is mine. I'm reclaiming it. Please ask the witness. They're to so stop. scared. Ask me a question. Reclaiming. I, let me allow me to time. answer my question, Mr. Chairman. It's so funny how afraid they are to let people respond. Like you saw this with the Taibi. You don't get to ask questions here, sir. Um, you asked me a question. I'm trying to answer it. That's not what they want. They want to grandstand. And just like Biden, they're so scared to have any pushback because their positions are so weak and porous. I'd like about 10 time, seconds the back. Time, the time belongs. You are slandering me incorrectly. The, the time belongs. You're saying is dishonest. Time belongs to the gentlelady from Florida. Time belongs to the gentlelady from Florida. I'd like 15 seconds back. We will be happy to give you that. Thank you so much. You did not cite any study like you are citing here now during that conversation. You referenced no study at all. You simply labeled Jews and Chinese people as a race. And you also said that somehow they managed to avoid a deadly illness that targets other groups for death. You don't see that. You're trying to rewrite history here. A few months ago, Mr. Kennedy, you compared COVID public health policies to barbaric murderous tactics of Nazi Germany, saying that Jewish people in Nazi Germany had more freedom than Americans facing COVID health restrictions. In hindsight, Mr. Kennedy, do you reject this absurd and deeply hurtful and harmful comparison, or do you still stand by it? Congressman, what you are saying is a lie. That you, you said it. It's, it's, I no, I did not. I never continued. Okay. I never, ever Mr. Chairman, I'm happy to COVID answer into the record when Mr. Kennedy said that. I reclaim my time. In discussing COVID public health measures, you made light of the genocide against Jewish people by saying, and I quote, even Hitler's Germany, you could cross the Alps to Switzerland. You could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. Mr. Kennedy, do you think it was easy for Jewish people to escape systematic slaughter of Nazis? Yes, sir. He literally said, following the quote that she just 
selectively pulled there, that it was not easy and that many Jews died trying to leave Nazi Germany, but they had a route to escape. And what people are trying to do in this technocratic authoritarianism is make it to where you can't escape, right? To where you're always tracked, where you're always surveilled using technology now that Hitler would have been very happy to use back then. That's the perspective from Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And yes, those studies do exist. And yes, COVID did impact at certain populations more than others. And why is it? Was it based on race? Was it based on other factors? Who knows? Let's get to the bottom of it. I'm curious and I want to know. I'm sure you want to know. But hey, will we ever know? Now, moving on here, one last piece I thought was really interesting. This is uh, Congressman, Congressman Stewart. Again, probably somebody I disagree with on a whole flurry of issues. But he's asking some really good questions to the Democrats' witness. Let's check it out. Ms. Wiley, if I could talk to you. Uh, and I, I, maybe you're busy you know, with something else there, but uh, do you trust the government to determine what facts and views the American people should be exposed to? Uh, I, I trust that we have a process whereby we can interrogate what we hear and learn from the government, but certainly I expect the government to share facts and information. That that, that wasn't my question. I didn't say share facts and information. I said, do you trust the government to determine what facts and views the American people should be exposed to and which ones they should not? Uh, Well, I think I'm struggling with the question because that is not the facts of the case in Missouri. Missouri I'm not talking about Missouri. I'm not talking about Missouri. Hey, 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 hey. I'm not talking about Missouri. This is a very simple question. Do you trust the government to determine what facts and views the American people are exposed to? I am not aware of any action of the government okay, that tells I'm take the American that. public what facts they should be exposed You're to. You're not aware of that? No, I am not. Oh, my gosh. Where have you lived for the last three years? In the United States of okay, America. Okay, let me tell you. Let me ask you. China suppresses free speech. Is that a good thing? No, of course not. Iran, Mullah's air suppress free speech. Is that a good thing? No, of course. Vladimir Putin expresses uh, suppresses. Is that a good thing? No, we we all so agree, can we we agree should not suppress then, free speech. We agree then that the government should not, government leaders should not suppress free speech. Do oh, that, agree with that? That, that's a different question. Uh, yes, it is. It is unconstitutional <laughs> for the government to pass question. laws that would abridge free speech. Okay. That's or, the first or amendment. Or not pass laws, but to create pressure that would suppress free speech. They don't. Vladimir Putin doesn't pass a law. Yes. He exerts his force and influence to suppress free speech. Yes, the case law says that the government cannot coerce private entities. And we agree that's a bad idea, don't we? Yes, and I would absolutely agree when we Donald Trump... We agree, then, the government When Donald Trump wait, threatened wait, wait, social we, media companies... Hang on, with hang on, hang on, ...federal regulation shutdown, that was coercion. That's not my question. Oh, I know, but I think it was consistent to here's, show that we agree. Here's my question for you. We agree... The government shouldn't be responsible for restricting views that the American people are exposed to. We agree on that, right? You wouldn't answer it at first, but it's clear that you do agree with that. That's a different question. Okay, so to my question, do you agree with it or not? I agree that the government should not violate our Constitution. Do you agree with my question? Your question is... Is the government determine? This is so simple. It is not so simple. No, I'm going to ask it one time, and it is so simple. A seventh grader could understand this question. Should the government be responsible 
for the views and the facts that the American people are exposed to. The, the problem I have is that I don't okay, know of any that, facts in which the government to, tells us I'm what I'm going to say believe. that you're unable to answer a question, which for me is fairly shocking as an American citizen. Let me ask you now then, having concluded that you're unaware of suppression of free speech in the last several years, what about, for That's example... That's not actually what I said, but thank you. Do you think it was appropriate for the FBI to pressure private companies to censor and take down posts that the government disagreed with? Was that appropriate? I'll give you an example that you were unaware of. I'm glad you're aware of it now. Was that appropriate for the government to do that? Sir, the only thing that is appropriate for the government to do is what it is lawfully allowed to do, both under the Constitution and the laws of this country. Which is? which is to conduct its criminal investigations appropriately to our laws and to our policy. So they didn't have the ability then to go to these private companies and to say they can't There are instances in which, in order to protect the integrity of a criminal prosecution, they may ask. Sometimes news agencies C- and others certainly agree withhold. with that. Was that the case yeah. here? Was uh, there any I, criminal prosecutions involved with these cases? Not that I'm there were aware criminal, of. criminal investigations are not prosecutions. Okay, criminal and investigations? And also uh, the integrity of criminal Were there any criminal investigations regarding these uh, examples? Uh, which examples are those, sir? For example, anything regarding the Hunter Biden laptop? Well, there are lots of things that have been said in public media about Hunter Biden's laptop. There, has, there was a criminal investigation, in fact, a plea in that case. Does it bother you that 51 former intelligence officials made a determination that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, which they admit, by the way, they had no evidence at all that that was true. Zero evidence that that was true. Does that bother you they did that? What bothers me tremendously is that while there are a lot of things we should be talking about with regard to whether or not the government at times exceeds its authority, that includes whether or not government exceeds its authority when it tries to censor or interfere with research or research institutions where uh, any... She's unable to answer. This is just, she's rambling. She's avoiding the, que- the, the question. She has not answered one single time to very simple questions like, do you think the U.S. government should be determinative to, 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 excuse me do you think the u.s government should determine what facts its population is exposed to the clear answer is fucking no no are you serious within my lifetime their track record is atrocious we can even just look at the ukraine war it's a bit like wmds what are we talking about here this is insane insane this is a bad faith actor has to be. And this is one of the things too, where like the left gets really caught up. And I don't mean the left and like the real left. I mean like the Democrats, right? It's like they want to intellectualize everything and talk around things and just word salad their way out of it. This is a simple question with a simple answer that miss Wiley is incapable of answering in good faith. So those are my highlights from the, uh, from the weaponization of the federal government hearings. Now, I wanted to move on to this Jason Aldean song. Now, this Jason Aldean song has got reposted here on YouTube uh, 10 days ago. It's called Try That in a Small Town. Now, I've never heard this song. I've, there's a lot of controversy about it. I listened to the first like 10 seconds. I'm like, you know what? On the show, I'm going to go live. I'm going to go live reaction to this song. Uh, being that I grew up in a small town, 
a small town called Graham, Texas. Um, I it's about nine thousand people or so. Well, when I grew up, I think it's still about the same. I don't think it's grown much. Maybe a little bit more now. Maybe closer to ten thousand. But uh, yeah, so I grew up in a small town. So I know what you can try and what you can't try in a small town. Even now, it hasn't changed that much. A little bit, but it hasn't changed that much. They're a little bit more chill with the gays than they used to be, it seems. But I thought I'd do a blind reaction to this because it's getting so much controversy, so much conversation. Now, will we make it through the whole three minutes and eight seconds of this song? I don't know. Because I will share my bias. I think Jason Aldean's music is fucking dog shit. Um, I don't like pop country. I don't like this, like redneck mad gab they play with this like putting words together it's like blue jeans and truck and cold beer and this and that but uh it's not my thing you know it's not my thing at all but we'll see if this is racist um as it's been claimed and uh we'll do some dissection of it there at the end let's dive into jason's aldine jason aldine's try that in a small town now Sidewalk, carjacking old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face. Stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think it's tough. Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here we take care of our own You cross that line It won't take long for you to find out I recommend you don't Try that in a small town Got a gun that my granddad gave me They say one day they're gonna round up Well that shit might fly in the city So we're two minutes in here. It's a pretty short song. I appreciate that, Jason. Um, now the cops in my hometown would have probably gotten cussed out if they stepped out of the fucking line. And a lot of the cops in my hometown were pieces of shit. There were some pretty chill cops, and they were, you know, they kind of they kind of focused on things that were actually like a problem. But there were also a lot of cops who just wanted to pull over high school kids and give them tickets for a window tent or rolling through a stop sign or not wearing a seatbelt or whatever kind of bullshit. So that. I disagree with, but generally speaking, the rest of this shit's pretty spot on. And I still have a little bit of that small town, like fuck around and find out mentality, which I don't find in people that didn't grow up in that world. Like I grew up in a place and I've experienced this on both sides where you could run your mouth and get punched in your fucking face. And I think consequences are important, right? 
and I've been known to do the same thing. I mean, you know, especially when I went to college, I went to Texas State, and I remember you get to these, I got in a, I probably got in like a dozen fistfights. Most of them weren't really over anything I did, or I just, you know, I was a big guy, and people would get into it, and I'd get into it, and I wasn't really scared of violence. I'm still not. Um, but I had, you know, I'm a pretty jovial dude, pretty lighthearted dude generally, but I had this kind of like line and I didn't really, a lot of guys you'll see getting fights, like they get in these like pushing fights and they'll push each other around and talk shit, whatever. I was pretty like chill until I wasn't chill. And when I reached not chill, my goal with a fight was to end the fight as fast as possible, which meant that you just hit somebody, right? Which is how I grew up. Like you fucking run your mouth enough and I get tired of it enough or you say the wrong thing. And before that sentence even finishes leaving your mouth, my fist is in your eyeball. Right. And that's just where I grew up and like how I, how I was raised was you have to stand up for yourself in certain ways like that, especially as a bigger guy, right? As a larger man, you've been given the gift of being a bigger dude and you have a responsibility to handle that yourself in such a way, especially when it comes to protecting others. So while I don't like the song necessarily, cause it's whatever, it's like the modern day Toby Keith pretty much. I can't say he's wrong because when you have these small town environments, there is very much a fuck around and find out mentality, which I think generally is helpful. Farmers are dropping their own crops for the day. A friend is in need, and they've come to help. It's what this community and a lot of our communities stand for. Somebody needs some help, you'll get it. Yeah, I mean, I don't find that racist by any stretch of the imagination. Doesn't I mean, he talks about good old boys, I guess, which could kind of be there. But given the chaos and crazy nonsense we've seen over the past few years, like, yeah, you're not pulling that off. You're not pulling off the same shit that you see in Chicago in a small town. My hometown, you're not going to be able to pull that kind of shit off. Now, we'll say that there's rampant meth abuse uh, and a bunch of other things that get to be a, a serious problem, prescription drug um, situations that are really, really dangerous. There's some, there's some, I mean, one of the cops in my hometown got, uh, caught with a bunch of CP on his computer. Um, I mean, there's some weird stuff and cops in small towns are generally less accountable, which I find to be a problem. Um, but yeah, this is, um, just like, it's just, it's just Kobe, Toby Keith, 2023. I don't understand the outrage about it, but yeah. You know, I think that there is, I think we do need to live in a world where there are consequences. Now, I may disagree with Aldine on what those consequences are and what for. I have a very much like, if you don't hurt somebody else, okay, do what you want to do. You know, if you want to do heroin or whatever it is that you want to do, like, you know, stay away from kids and get in your little heroin hut and 
do what you got to do. Uh, that's on you. You know, you're not bothering anybody else. That's fine. I, 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 I have that very much that perspective where it's, you know, kind of this like more civil libertarian perspective. But, um, I do look when I go back to my hometown, which I definitely resented for a long time, just like having that there's, there's definitely having that like small world perspective on things. When you want to leave that world, it takes time to adjust. It was a lot for me to like move to Austin and figure things out. And I was kind of behind other people and being able to understand what it was like to live in a, a larger city and how that went down and, and different things like that. And so I, I, I resented kind of my upbringing and now being that I'm comfortable with that and actually look forward to living outside of a city and having our space and, and raising my kids in a way that I find is uh productive for them. I go look back and I'm like, you know, that, that like real small town life isn't necessarily for me. Like I wouldn't want to live in Graham now or any town like it really. Um, but I understand the value in it and I understand why people like it and the simplicity of it has a beauty to it. And there is some, something to like people coming and kind of having your back. You know, I even remember my, my, the, my friends in high school, we had each other's backs. You know, I had this one friend, Eric, who's probably watching this. Hey, what's up buddy. Um, <laughs> who like, would just do whatever you needed him to do. He'd fight a motherfucker just cause you, he looked at you the wrong way. Like he was just that kind of guy always had your back always, you know, and we were kind of like that. And I re- appreciate that about like this small town perspective. And I, I respect it more now than I did in my like early twenties, uh, when I go back and see it. So that's kind of my take. It seems pretty uncontroversial, but people got to find something to be pissed about it, I guess. So anyways, now it's time for that part of the show where I give you something to think about. Let's talk about men. Men, men, men. I ain't gay no more. I like women. (laughs) Best videos of all time. Men, fellas. Guys, dudes, bros, um, you're seeing more and more stuff out there now. It's talking about how we have this modern day kind of crisis of masculinity. Now, there may be a little bit of this. It's the stuff in the water t- turns the frogs gay. You know, that whole thing that's hormone disruptors and all that kind of stuff and the endocrine systems and low quality food and other things that may get injected into children that fuck things up. And that's probably part of it, but let's talk about the cultural piece of this. Let's zoom out a little bit. You know, I've seen a lot of these articles floating around lately and read a few of them that are talking about this crisis of masculinity and how people are gravitating to someone like Andrew Tate, right? Who I look at Andrew Tate and I think he's a provocateur. He's kind of a clown. I don't take him serious. I don't think he's a serious person, but he's made his money. He does his thing and he exploits women and he's kind of a douche and for people that have been villainized and feel defensive, he's a very attractive character, right? But that's what I want to focus in on, right? This this idea of feeling villainized and, and, and you're a victim and then gravitating to someone like Andrew Tate who's playing into and leveraging that victimhood. I don't think that sneaky, subtle victimhood is a healthy part of masculinity. When you think about masculinity, right, there is something that Andrew Tate was actually right about that men are assertive and they'll say no. 
generally speaking, like healthy masculinity, you can stand up for yourself. You can have boundaries. You can say no. You can say yes when you mean it. You can say what you mean when you mean it and face the consequences for that. But I feel like a lot of these folks out here are gravitating to people who are really, really just pinging that victimhood nerve. And I feel like there's some hypocrisy there or a bit of a conundrum where you're talking about masculinity but leveraging the weakest parts, the most vulnerable parts of it, mostly for profit, right? And there's very few people we can look to in like the healthy masculine space who don't play victim. And really, to be honest with you, they cry like little bitches. You see this a lot. All the time, right? And they gravitate toward things like guns and Trump and this, right? Which if you think Trump is like the embodiment of masculinity, it's just, I got a bridge to sell you, you know? So I think that there's so much of that because that is profitable and that gets attention and that, that, that pings that nerve of victimhood, like I said. And when you feel like you've been villainized by society for years and years, it's really easy to fall into that def- defensive space. But it, it, I find it really curious that those men that work in that space are really leveraging that and they really just constantly are bitching all the time. They're very rarely proactive and leading by example. And maybe that's because the men who are doing that don't really feel the need to bitch and complain all the time about things outside of their control. They focus on their family, their communities, themselves. And it's kind of works at odds with growing an audience. And we're in this weird place. So when I look at this and I've, if you see yourself out there leaning towards some of these people, ask yourself, am I leaning into being a victim disguised as being a man? It's a really important question to ask yourself. Am I leaning into being a victim disguised as being a real man? We're seeing that all the time. That's Andrew Tate. That's what that is. And now while that may be better than falling down the rabbit hole of fucking video games and porn and, 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 and smoking weed all day and resigning from society. Yeah, that might be better than that. And I understand that people like Jordan Peterson have kind of been turned into just bitter versions of themselves because they've been attacked so much. I know it's hard to find those people, but those people are out there. There are men to look up to. And they're not the men that are constantly bitching all the time. Ben Shapiro has made his living bitching all the time. All the time. The lion's not sheep guy is just bitching all the time. They live their life acting like a little bitch pretending to be a man. And I think it's just the equal and opposite version of the people who are making you feel like a villain. So you're in the mirror image camp. And there's a middle way, right? Because when you get in that victimhood, fake man bullshit, you don't want to take responsibility for yourself. You're always trying to prove a point. You're not picking appropriate goals and focusing on those things. You're fighting against a bunch of whatever the fuck character you want to put out there that probably doesn't exist in any real scale. 
right? We call them like the blue hair libs. And you focus so much on fighting them that you might miss what's right in front of you. Put one foot in front of the other. Right? Experiencing consequences for your actions. These are all important things that are part of masculinity that I think get overlooked. So when we talk about this masculinity crisis and the people that are leveraging that for finances, ask yourself, are you being led into victimhood disguised as being a man? Something to think about. Well, that's it for today, guys. I love you. I'll see you next time. Keep your head on straight. Join the Patreon. You know, all those things. Bye-bye.